I'd like you to stand this morning, would you please? And I'd like you to express, let's express to the Lord our thanksgiving. This is the version of the doxology we don't often sing. Uh, maybe never quite like this here, but it's a way of us expressing to the Lord, thank you for everything that you've given to us. Thank you for this church and the faithful people that have gone before, that have been faithful to study some classes and drive the buses and make the gospel plain. It's the Lord who inspired all of that in people. Here's how this goes. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above He heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Sing it again. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him of creatures here below. Praise Him above He. Matthew chapter 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, in the heart of the Sermon on the Mount. And I love the simplicity of, of Jesus' teaching. It's interesting because when, when Jesus teaches, a little child could understand. And, and the wisest scholar could just spend his entire life trying to completely understand all of that. And they, they, would, be, they, would, they would be able to spend their entire life doing that and never really come to the bottom of the Lord's teaching. What we're going to look at today is Jesus teaching on prayer and on sincere prayer, real righteousness that manifests itself through simple, sincere, secret prayer. I want to see that today and, uh, and study the simplicity of that. And that's our plan. And, and it's in Matthew chapter 6 and uh, chapters 5 through 15. Matthew chapter 6, uh, 5 through 15. I can't get our thing to advance. There we go. All right. Um, sometimes if you talk to it, it works. Let's take a look. In, it, I said five. I think I, I meant Matthew six, five through fifteen. Let's read it together. Matter of fact, let's go ahead and take our Bibles and open them and let's stand to read it. Hoping to make you go up and down too much, but a special way to show honor to the Lord and to his word. Standing as we read Matthew chapter six and uh, from verse five to, to verse 15. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you shut your door, pray to your father who is in a secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth 
as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil, from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the, the Word of God. And, and this, this portion, the simple truth about prayer. And I, Lord, as we talk about it today, I pray it would just drop into our hearts, into our souls, that our experience in prayer would be sweeter. And, and, and that, Lord, somebody who's here today who really hasn't been praying would, would, would learn the sweetness of prayer. And those of us who we, we spend our time by our own means and through our own energy trying to make things happen, that, Lord, we would see the simplicity and the power of prayer. Just show us these things today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. Jesus in this uh, section of the Sermon on the Mount is... He's taking apart pseudo-righteousness. He's deconstructing pseudo-righteousness, the prevailing, the, the kind of high-water mark of religion in the day. Jesus will go straight at that. And, the, and everybody sees this because people are doing it, you know, outwardly. And if you, you're like I am, few things irritate you more than pseudo-religion, pseudo-righteousness, pseudo-piety. You can almost smell it when you walk in the room sometimes. I'm not sure that any of us are completely innocent of it ourselves. We sometimes find ourselves doing things and we're wondering how we look while we're doing those things or what people think of us. And Jesus is going after that. He's going to take that apart. And he's specifically talking about acts of righteousness. In chapter 6 and verse 1, um, he's saying, don't do your acts of righteousness to be seen of men. And then he lists three different acts of righteousness. He lists giving, and he lists prayer, and he lists fasting. And he says, don't do these things openly so that people will see you, because if you do them to be seen by men, that's all the reward you're going to get. He said, that's you, you've been paid in full then. But you do these things, righteous people that have genuine righteousness, they are going to give, and they are going to pray, and they are going to fast, but they're going to do them for the right reasons. And when they do them for the right reasons, God, who is in the secret place and who sees in secret, will reward them. That's a promise that he's given. So it's very simple and it's very clear. Now, a key thing to help us to really understand this and for it to really sink into our hearts is for us to think about this word righteousness because the whole message, Jesus is keying on this idea of righteousness. What does real righteousness look like? And, 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 and the Pharisees kind of have the corner on the market in the, in, the, in the popular opinion of people about what righteousness is supposed to look like. So Jesus goes directly after that in his Sermon on the Mount. And, and he says, in this case, when you pray, don't make a big show of your prayer. Now, now to back up here a little bit, think about this. And we mentioned this before. I'm sure you remember in chapter 5 and verse 20, you have... Uh, Obviously, the Sermon on the Mount is, is, is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Matthew 5, maybe from verses uh, you know, 1 through, uh, through about 17, are, I believe, kind of a synopsis, kind of an overview. He's giving kind of the introduction to his message. He tells the message in a nutshell. But 17 through 20, then, he's going to state the central truth of his message. And as we've mentioned many times before, in verse 20, he's going to say, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, 
you will in no wise, you'll in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless you are above and beyond the, the, the scribes. So it was a shocking thing that he said. But the key idea there was righteousness. Now, Matthew had set that up by using, I think, Joseph as kind of an example, a literary example of a righteous man. Here's Joseph, and he's seen as a righteous man. That's the word that's used there. He's seen as a righteous man. He's what every Pharisee wants to be. He's seen as a righteous man, but he finds himself in the tension of he either can maintain his reputation as a righteous man, or he can marry this girl who's pregnant and she's not married yet. So if he marries the girl who's pregnant and not married yet, who God has told him to marry because she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit, he really is righteous, but he loses his reputation for being righteous. So you've got Joseph introduced early here in a literary form to say, this is really what this book is all about. It's about what is righteousness really like? Now, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is saying it's going to be, have to be beyond the scribes and Pharisees. And then right after that, verse 20, he goes into this series of six different times where he says, you have heard it's been said by them of old, but I say to you. And now we're in a section where he introduces the idea of righteousness again in chapter six and verse one, where he says, don't do your righteous deeds to be seen by men. And then he gives three examples of righteous deeds. I don't know about you, but this is like powerfully convicting to me. Every time I read this, it's like I get beat up by it. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. It's symmetrical. It's simple. And it's very, it's very powerful. It's a little bit like uh, our sister's song today, Michelle, it, it, the song said, when I get to the end of the day on my pillow, my head, I'm asking you, Lord, was I a little bit more like you today? Did that convict anybody but me? That's just that I think it has the same elements. It's simple. Jesus just says, say what you do. Pray, right? Yeah. Why do you do that? Because you like it when people think you're religious. Oh. Convicting. So I think it's good to be in church today. And for us to just sit under the word of God, the simple statements that Jesus made and to ask ourselves once again, why do we pray? Jesus is it's it's powerful here. He talks about giving before God, verses two through four, praying before God, verses five through 15. And we're going to see fasting before God, verses 16 through 18. So you might want to fast this week so you feel wonderful about it next week. Compare these three sections. They have four things in common. All three of the sections about giving and about praying and about fasting. Notice these four things that they have in common. It's kind of cool as a pastor to look at Jesus as a preacher and to see how, how beautifully he arranged his message and how the Holy Spirit used Matthew to take this, to show us this, to give us this material. And notice that here the four things that are the same about the three things that Jesus said are going to be in every righteous person's life. One, each section assumes a practice of righteous deeds. When you give and when you pray and when you fast. So you're truly righteous. Do you give and do you pray and do you fast? It assumes them. Second thing, each section mentions a perversion of that. You're doing that but you're doing it for the wrong reasons. And you'll notice that in each section. When you do a charitably, do not sound a trumpet before you like a hypocrite. And then each section says that, a perversion of that. 
In ours today, when you pray, don't pick out the widest road and find the corner. Literally, the Greek word is the wide road and a corner place on the widest road where you pray in front of everybody so they see what a wonderful spiritual person you are. Don't be pseudo-pious and don't pray like that. It mentions a perversion. Same through with fasting. You know, disfigure your face and all of that. You look, look, I'm fasting. Aren't I wonderful? Then the third thing, each section repeats the phrase, they will have the reward. The idea in the original language is they have their reward in full. That's all they're going to get. You do that, you pray so that somebody sees you. That, like, I hope you enjoyed it because that's all the reward you're going to get. Implied here is this fourth thing, and that is each section promises the reward of the Father to those who do righteousness that's motivated by the Lord and they do it in the right, for the right reasons, promises God's going to reward them. This is Jesus promising people that if they practice real righteousness, that God is going to give them an everlasting reward. That's kind of neat. That's a big deal. You don't want to forfeit an eternal reward so that people who don't really care that much about you look up to you, look up to you momentarily, right? How dumb is that? People are fickle, right? But why is that that we want people to look up to us so bad that it kind of dry often will drive a lot of the things that we do because we want people to think a lot of us. And so and maybe this is like a special message to men because I have this like personal theory. I'm away from the pulpit now. I have this personal theory that men struggle with this ego thing maybe more than ladies. Yes, Rich, I'm so glad you're here. It's like, I know I'm not alone. You know, you're, you're working this with me. Is that true? Anybody like you're too proud to say it? You know, I, I have this, you know, so I'll, I'll give you an example so that you guys are obviously hard to convince. I don't care how old and wrinkly you are. I don't care how long it's been since you went to high school. You remember the big play, don't you? Gary, talk to me. Am I right? Am I right? Do you sometimes go out to eat with your wife and you say, I remember that time in the end zone when I cut across the back of the end zone and I got open and it was, am I right? (laughs) Did you pick, did you ever pick off the ball? Did you ever get an interception as a lineman? You don't feel like talking about, oh, defensive, yeah. Well, you can get an interception that way. But you, Gary, I know you all want to know, you probably have little memories. You have memories. Right? And I was, was calling on Rich Brown yesterday in the hospital. The man's in the hospital, you know. And he's remembering a softball game. And he's remembering a big catch that he had. And he's remembering what Steve Massengill did when he caught the big catch. And it's been years. That's because we men are wired like that. I should pick on, pick on a man while he's not here and he's in the hospital. We're going to have to take that piece out of the tape, aren't we? We're kind of leaning on my relationship with him. That's the way we are. And what's, what's crazy about that is we drag that ego into our religion. This is terrible. Jesus sees this, you know, he kind of like piercingly sees that. And he says that you get no reward in heaven for that. You have your reward. So the question is, do you do righteous acts? And the follow-up question is, then, if you do them, why do you do them? Do you pray? Okay. Why do you pray? And today we're going to talk about why do you pray. We're going to talk about a couple of perversions of prayer that Jesus talks about. One is the perversion of the, of the hypocrite, and the other is the perversion of the heathen, if you will. In one sense, he's talking about the perversion, the way that the Pharisees perverted prayer. He's going to talk about that five and six. And he's going to talk about how pagans perverted prayer in verses 7 and 8, and then he's going to give us this beautiful template for prayer, which we often call the Lord's Prayer. Two disclaimers before we continue. It is not wrong to pray publicly. It's wrong to pray publicly so that you will be seen as a religious and a righteous person. 
we, we know this because Jesus prayed publicly and he never sinned. We know this because there are prescriptions, if you will, for public prayer. He expected us to have corporate prayer and public prayer. The idea here is not that all of our praying is to be secret praying. The idea is that our praying is not to be seen by men. That's disclaimer number one. Second disclaimer goes to the second two verses there in a section about the heathen praying, verses seven and eight. And it's this. It's not wrong to repeat prayers. It's not really wrong to write a prayer down and read it. It's not wrong. It's not wrong to repeat a prayer again. The vain repetition that the Bible here is talking about is when we feel like God is reluctant, so we have this mantra or this formula or this series of words that we kind of repeat over and over again. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches something a lot sweeter than that. I want to explain that to you today right out of the words of Jesus. So those two disclaimers as we as we get going. Now, now see this. The scriptures say that prayer is secret. Maybe you guys are going to have to. Is this you're doing it? Yeah. Sincere prayer is secret. Uh, Look there in verse five. The scriptures say don't make a show of prayer. That's what they tell you not to do. But they say, do pray privately and you will be rewarded openly. Now, you were expecting to hear a story about my visit to Israel. Raise your hand if you were expecting to hear a story. You know what's amazing is, I, I made up my mind, you know, if you go to the Holy Land and then you bring back a whole bunch of slides and you bore the bejabbers out of people, showing them this long slides and telling them everything you ate and everywhere you went, it's just like, that. You, there's like a special corner in hell for people like that, right? So I, I don't want to do that. But I thought, you know, what's interesting is amazing is that when you open your Bible, it's just everywhere. And, you know, when you go, it's, it was an amazing thing. So I won't talk too much about it, but I did. I will say this. Have you ever noticed somebody, and you don't know their heart, you don't know their motives, but you're like, man, you are sure putting on a prayer show over there. You're like way out where everybody can see you, and you've got all kinds of, you know, you've got all kinds of paraphernalia that's related to prayer, and you, you don't seem to mind people looking at you. You're right out there, you're making noise, and you're, you see this in, in Israel. We don't know the hearts of people. Maybe some of them were extremely sincere, and perhaps sincerely wrong. But you, you, you have a hunch that some of that stuff that we, the, we saw at the Wailing Wall or in other places in, in Jerusalem or in Israel was real overt, look at me, I'm a religious person, I have religious stuff. This is something that's been going on for a very long time. And I have a sneaking suspicion Baptists are not immune to this. We have words we say and we think, I bet they thought I was really spiritual or smart that I said those words. Don't make a show of prayer. That's what Jesus is saying. Let's read it again there. Verse 5. When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. When you pray, you shall not be like uh, the hypocrites. In verse 5. They love to pray standing in the synagogues or on the, or on the corners of the streets. Again, street word there is the big, wide area that they may be like the public square so that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. They're, don't be a pretender. So I'm saying, don't be, a, don't be an actor in your prayer. Your prayer should be real. Don't make a show of prayer, but do pray privately so you'll be rewarded openly. You, you've heard of George Mueller. George Mueller was a, is known for prayer, not because he promoted himself, but because others wrote about him. I've read some pretty interesting biographies of, of George Mueller. 
And I, and I read a, a small section of a biography of George Mueller here this week. And it's an interesting little thing that kind of caught my heart when I read it. I thought I would share with you. George Mueller of Bristol, England, who was a giant in prayer, had a simple, sincere, secret prayer life. He constantly shared that the believer's first business in the beginning of the day was to get his soul into a state of happiness for the Lord. And what he meant by this was he believed that prayer should be the first thing he did. So for years, for 10 years, he got up and he says, okay, I'm going right to prayer. I'm going to pray. But his heart would be cold. If you have this experience, his heart would be cold. So he'd be like saying things that, that weren't really, you know, that, that the heart was in it. Here's what he discovered. He discovered that if he got up first and he opened his Bible and he began to read his Bible, that it kind of primed his spiritual pump. And he, that what he called that getting his soul happy in the Lord. His affectionate feelings for God. That began, it might be that as he's reading the passage, he feels convicted about some sin. Now he's got something to pray about. Or maybe there's something to aspire to. Now he's got something to pray about. So he learned that if he would read the Bible first, then, he would, then he'd be ready to pray. So, he said, so everywhere Mueller went, when he taught, this is what he taught. Mueller also took to walking and praying with his testament in his hand when conditions were suitable. On occasions, he made this his early morning devotions, walking, praying, reading the New Testament in large type, meditating and praying as he walked in the fields between, for between an hour or two in the, in the, before breakfast. Now, I like that little quote because I'm hyperactive, I think. And that I used to think that you've got to maintain this, you know, this rigid, kneeling position or you're not really seriously praying but when you read the bible you see that people would prostrate themselves before the lord they would kneel they would stand up and raise their hands they would walk and i'm pretty sure that there isn't a position that you can get yourself into that is inappropriate to talk to god and George Mueller's simple prayer life. So, in other words, you see religious people doing all kinds of crazy things. And somebody tells them what you got to do. And you've got this godly giant of a man in prayer. And what does he do? He gets up in the morning. He takes his New Testament. Large type. Can I get a witness on that? Yeah. Large type. And then he walks with his New Testament. And he lets the Lord stir up simple prayers out of his heart. And God uses him to move the world. I'll tell you more about that later. Let's go to the second section here. Sincere prayer is secret. Sincere prayer is simple. Now, what I was going to say here is, you see what he's doing in chat in verses five and six. He's talking about the hypocrite who's doing what? Praying publicly so everybody would see him. And in verses seven and eight, he's talking about pagans or heathen. The way they pray is they have all these crazy formulas or repetitions. The idea behind this is that God is really kind of mean and reluctant. To answer prayers, so I've got to get, you know, I've got to hold my face just right. I have to have another secret handshake. I've got to get things just right in order for God to answer my prayer. And Jesus is saying, don't you ever say that about my father. That's not the way he is. You just simply tell him that you are concerned for his kingdom, that you want to be, you want your daily bread, you want to be delivered from temptation and so forth. That's what he's going to say. Don't pray empty prayers. Do express your heart to God in prayer. In other words, he says in the model prayer we're going to see in a minute, he starts out by saying, Father, which ought to be a very warm word for all of us. And not always that way, but it ought to be. Father, Daniel, who is in the balcony, my son, is at college. He pocket dialed me on his cell phone a couple weeks ago. It's kind of cool when that happens because then you get to listen into his social life, you know. So for two minutes, I just listened. I figured he pocket dialed me. I mean, I don't know if, how, what you think about the ethics of that, but I'm just like, you called me. 
So I'm listening to what you have to say. It's pretty cool. So here's what I hear. You know, I hear him talking. He's a, he's a good kid. Is this cool with you, Dan? Are we good on this? Good. Um, and so and so he's talking, you know, and it's kind of cool. You hear him talking. And you hear Hannah talking. And here's what I distinctly heard. Okay, Hannah, I'll call Dad. I'll ask him for the money. <laughs> or something to that effect, you know. It was kind of like that. Okay, Dad, I'll call. Dad, I'll ask him for the money. And so uh, I finally, he finally gets me out. He's like, oh, wow. Hey, we're connected. You've been listening to me for two and a half minutes. I go, yeah, what do you need money for? And he's like, well, I, you know, it's okay, Dad. I don't need any money. I really don't care. You know, so it's all right. Don't worry. I go, look, 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 what is it you want money for? Well, come on, you can tell me. I don't have any money. It doesn't matter, you know. And uh, he goes, well, it's just crazy. I, you know, we're, some of the kids are going skiing, and it costs $50, and I don't have it. I just want you know, skiing, you know. And I'm like, well, I don't either, you know. So if God wants you to go skiing, you're going to need to pray for it. And if, you know, if you want you to go, and my thinking is, you know, with all the, you know, world hunger and various different things going on in the world, skiing is not high on his list. You know what I mean? It's got to be down the list, right? Would you say? All the things people have to pray for and skiing. But, you know, the way God works is uh, like a father. And uh, he wants to bring delight to his sons and, and daughters. And sometimes he'll withhold things from us we don't understand that we think we need. Sometimes he'll give us some little thing like a flower or a ski trip just to show his love for us. And you know what's cool is that he said, yeah, I'd probably be about $50. And I said, what? I don't have it right now. So tell you what, pray. If God wants you to go, he'll give you the $50. Now, the next day I go on a hospital call. I'm leaving and the phone rings. And um, I answer the phone and Dan says, Dad, you are not going to believe what happened. He said, I got a... I got a check in the mail today. It was like for fifty-two. Is that right? Fifty-two dollars. Now that you've been in school, never had a check that arrived before. Fifty-two dollars. A little simple confirmation that when that God, like a father, He wants us to bring our needs and our desires before Him. This is just simple stuff. It isn't some kind of big religious hocus pocus. It isn't some kind of. Um, thing that God Jesus wants us to get into where we're where we're where we're wearing special things or drawing a lot of attention to ourselves. He just wants us to walk with him. He just wants us to talk with him. He wants us to bring our needs before him. Remember that God is good. Now we're gonna go to the next slide. I want to just show you and just go ahead and open up all of those scripture verses because you probably can't read them anyway. But these verses here, I kinda want to throw them on the wall for you because I want you to just have a little piece of what does the Bible say about God? Let's talk about him. He's good. He's generous. He likes to give. Let me just, let me just give you uh, some examples. In Matthew 7, it's in the Sermon on the Mount, verse 11. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more would your Father, who is in heaven, give good gifts to those who ask Him? Is God generous and good? Yes, He is. So you see it in Romans 8. He gave His own Son. So what would He withhold from you? No good thing will He withhold from those who walk uprightly, the psalmist says, James 1, 17, you know this, every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. That's pretty cool, isn't it? You like that? Should we take a note on that one? You write that one down. Later this week, uh, James 1, 17. And then 1 Timothy 4, 4 and 5 says, every creature of God is good. Nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it's sanctified by the word of God in prayer. God gives good stuff. And I love 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 9, 8. Love this. 
God is able to make all grace abound to you that you having all that you need for every good would have all you need for every good work. All sufficiency for all things, an abundance for every good work. Now here let me just teach you something kind of cool. Um over here you got people who are like the prosperity gospel people. You've heard of them? They're cool, they 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 got bands and they, they wear cool things and they got big churches, you fly helicopters over them. It's just pretty neat, you know. And and they, they say this. They say if you love God, he's gonna make you rich. If you have faith, he's going to make you rich, which, which is kind of scary for most of us. But anyway, so that's what they say. And you can dress like me, and you and your wife can fly places all the time like me and my wife do. And you can have a church they fly a helicopter over. I guess I shouldn't be saying this. It's kind of being mean. I don't mean to be mean. I'm just, you know, there are people who believe this, the, the prosperity gospel people. And, the, and what they say is, God wants you to have a bunch of stuff for yourself. And, and, and he wants that for you, and he's good. So if you just ask me to give you stuff for yourself. Well, I don't think the Bible teaches that. Uh, I think James says, you know, you ask amiss because you want to spend it on your own desires, your own lust. I think that's what that's talking about. On the other hand, you've got people over here that say that's not the way it is. You know, they, they kind of have God in a, in a corner and they just want to say things like, well, you know, just do your business. You pay your bills. You give your tithe. And that's just the way it is. And uh, don't expect don't expect God to give you anything. Just do what you're supposed to do. I think the truth isn't here. And I think the truth isn't here. Here's what I think this passage is telling us what the truth is. God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, having all sufficiency for all things, may abound to every good work. Do you get the thing? It's not, I ask God for things so that I have things. I ask God for things so that I can abound to every good work. I believe that God is saying here, and I've experienced it in my own life, is as long as you're involved in doing what God wants you to do, He's going to supply what you need to do what He wants you to do. Sometimes people say to me, maybe my own kids will say, you'd have a lot more money if it wasn't for us kids. I'm like, that's not true. Whatever we do have, we probably have because God sees we're involved in the good work of raising eight kids for the Lord. And so God says, I'm going to take care of those kids. It's not like you get this much money for you. No, God will look at the whole family. Do you see that? He's providing for the whole family. So it wasn't like, oh, I could have just squandered that on my, myself if I didn't have all these kids. Another way we look at it. Same, the same with anything. What is it that God has called you to do? What is it he wants you to do? What is it he's directing you to do? Who is it he wants you to give something to? How does he want you to help? Now, he is able to make all grace abound to you that you would have a sufficiency for everything you want to do that God wants you to do. That's not this over here where, where God isn't providing an abundance for the things you need. And it's not this over here where God is providing you stuff so that you can have a fancier car while the whole world is starving, right? It's, it's God will supply whatever you need to fund what it is that you're doing for Him. So you make sure that you're doing what God wants you to do, and He will fund that work that you're doing for Him. I, I have seen this happen in my own life. As a matter of fact, late this month I get to go to Texas to talk about this. And then a little bit later on to, to Nashville. And in midweeks, I got a couple opportunities to go. And all I'm doing is that guy called me on the phone. He says, I saw what happened in your life. And, and I'll tell you this another time because it's not a part of my message. But, but even a person with, with no, you know, kind of living week to week, no special way of getting a hold of big funds, who decides they're just going to serve God. God, he may supply just what they need to live week to week. And they may just have what they need. Basic needs is what we should be satisfied with. Give us this day our daily bread. 
But God is able, maybe just a, a story is going to help you better if I just say it this way. Francis Chan, how many of you read Francis Chan? You read? No, you ought to. Good, good guy. Or, or cheat, just go on YouTube and watch his videos and you have to read. Um, anyway, so Francis Chan's a good guy. He's a good, solid guy, good preacher. And he always said to his wife, you know, there's so many things in the world I like to give to. I wish I was rich so that I could give to these things. And he said, not that he wanted himself. He just said to his wife, there's so many things I'd like to give to. Sometimes I wish I was rich or I wish I knew somebody who was rich so I could just tell them they could give to these things. Francis Chan then wrote this, this little book, um, Crazy Love. Had no idea what was going to happen. Decided that if, you know, if it sold well, he wouldn't take any of the proceeds from the book. And I, and I heard uh, him speak at a conference. I actually listened to him on the, on, the, on the computer this past year, early in the year. He spoke at a conference and he said last year, Crazy Love made, I think, two or three million dollars. He did not spend it upon himself because he'd already made a deal. He had accountability in place. So God knew that Francis Chan was a guy he could trust to give money away. So he gave him two or three million dollars in one year so he'd give the money away. And he gave the money away. I think that's what that verse is talking about. We have a God who is looking for people who are generous like he is so that they can fund good things. And, and that's the way that we ought to look at it. And I think that's the wonderful balance, and I, I probably did a sloppy job of it, but that's the wonderful balance between this kind of view of God that he isn't a good, a, you know, generous, abundance God, and this view of God that I have God on a keychain who gives me stuff that I want, you know, that's just a, a perversion of the Bible. Simple prayer is, sincere prayer is secret, and, and sincere prayer is simple. Now, we want to real quick go through. And so let's open up the next slide here. I don't think I'm making this work. And just like open them all up because this will force me to go fast. All right. We have two more slides to go through. If you stay with me, you're going to be able to eat with a clear conscience today. How do you pray according to Jesus? He kind of gave you this, this model of how to pray. We could do a series of messages, of course. You, you don't doubt me on this, do you? Of course. We could do a series of messages, one message on each one of these, couldn't we? But let's just go swiftly over at one time in a quick Passover so we kind of get the idea. Jesus is saying, this is the, this is the idea I want you to have you when you pray. Pray with a child's heart. Our Father. Our Father. We kind of already said that. Pray with a child's heart, like a child asked to a good, benevolent father, daddy. Pray with a united heart. It's our father. You know what we do in the Bible? We make everything an individual passage, don't we? Everything is to me. It's personal piety. Everything. But much of the scripture is really written to a community. Much of the scripture is really written to community. So one of the things we're going to miss out on is if our praying is all this like personal prayer, which we certainly ought to do, private, secret, personal prayer, but we don't have corporate prayer. We don't have praying as a family, praying as a couple, praying with a brother or a sister, say on Wednesday night or in your ministry that you're being involved in, you're stopping, you're praying. First, you're really missing out. Our Father, it's plural. You get that? Pray with a reverent heart. I could park on this, but I just want to say just one thing that gives us an example. And I, I'm going to pick on you, but I, I feel I've wanted to say this. And so let me share it with you. And I, I trust this of the Lord. Have you noticed that when people pray sometimes, they tack things on their prayer? And they've always said over and over again, and it's like they don't really mean them. Don't want to talk about it? Just looking at me. Nobody's with. Thank you, Rich. Thank you, Rich. May your tribe increase. Yeah. Have you noticed that? You, you got, you know, you, you get to the end of your prayer and you go, and, and I say this, I, I can't kind of bring myself to say it, but you slur the name of our Savior Jesus on the end of the prayer without really thinking 
about what you're talking about. Whose name are you saying? If you're going to tack that on, you don't have to, you know. You don't have to tack that verbiage on the end of your prayer. Read the Bible prayers, you'll see that. I mean, that's not, the Bible doesn't say you need to do that. But we often have, we're in the habit of saying, in Jesus' name we pray. Well, that's a beautiful name. That's whose merit we're praying in. We're, as if we're attaching, I believe this is God's will, the will of Jesus. So this I pray in the name of my Savior, my precious Savior, Jesus Christ. You do not get to the end of the prayer and then you slur over the name of Jesus. Don't, don't go somewhere. Don't, don't, don't pray irreverently. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Pray with a united heart. Pray with a child's heart. Pray with a reverent heart. Pray with a passion for the kingdom. Thy kingdom come. It's not like, God, i got a kingdom going here, and I'm going to need your support. So I'm praying. You know? Bring the rain, God, because I need to make some sales this week. Because I'm concerned about my kingdom, and my name, and my honor. And it's like, wait a minute, you got this confused. It's about my name. It's about my kingdom. It's about my honor. So when you pray, pray for his name, for his kingdom, for his honor. Think about his kingdom. Think about the ultimate trajectory of the work of God, the kingdom. We don't talk about the kingdom nearly as much as he talks about the kingdom. It's very interesting how much kingdom there is in the Bible. And I do believe there is a literal 1,000-year reign of Christ, which is a specific thing. I just see that in a, in a literal way. But there's a sense in which the kingdom is the eternal state as well. We're to be always thinking that way. Our passion for, should be for the eternal authority and kingdom of Jesus Christ. That's the way we ought to think. And that's the way we ought to pray. So when you go to prayer, you pray reverently. And you pray with a passion for God's kingdom. And you pray with a submissive heart. Your will be done on earth. God, make it on earth the way it is in heaven. Now, go to the next slide. This is one more. And you're, you're home free. Pray with a dependent heart. Give us this day our daily bread. In a way, you see there are three clauses in the first part of the prayer that have to do with worship and with God directly. His name, His kingdom, and His will. And then there are three clauses in the second part that have to do with individuals for bread, for forgiveness, for deliverance from evil. You see that if you study that little prayer there that Jesus gave. We pray with a dependent heart. We pray with a penitent heart. God, forgive us our debts. Stop. Think about your sin. Seek forgiveness from the Lord. Thank Him for that. You pray with a forgiving heart. While you're thanking God for forgiveness, you say, and just, you forgive me, Lord. You know, like, I always forgive the people who have offended me, too. And then that one, he circles back in verses 14 and 15, and he gives it another shot. So it must be important, huh? Don't say that you understand forgiveness if you're unwilling to forgive other people. Because you probably stand outside of the circle of God's forgiveness. If you can't forgive other people, you probably never really got it. So it's something very so. Isn't it just like biting, sobering, sharp? It's like, ooh. I think if Jesus was talking, we would go, yeah, ooh. Yeah, we'd love it. And we would, like, we would just walk quietly down the hill. Right? Wouldn't we, wouldn't we have Jesus speaking and then we would go, oh. Hearing you. Yeah. Pray. With a vigilant heart for deliverance from temptation and evil. This is a big thing. Don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We ought to pray that more because we live where there's a lot of evil. We, we live on earth and all around the earth there's a lot of evil. There's a lot of solicitation to evil. The people that we love are constantly being tugged on. They're being pulled on to evil. 
And this is one of the things we pray. So do you see this, what Jesus is saying? This is the practical, simple, sincere, secret way that people who are really righteous talk to God. They pray to their father together. And these are the kind of things that characterize their life. This week was a wonderful, these last two weeks were a wonderful, an amazing time and a great, a great privilege. Just to give you a little glimpse of it, you know, it's like Pastor Graves told me when I talked to him about going to the Holy Land, he said to me, Ken, when you read the Bible now, it was like in black and white before, and it's going to be in color now. And by and because of the generosity of others, Lois and I were able to go. And, and, the, and, and, you know, in the Bible, you often read like a genealogy, and you skip over the, the, the name sometimes. And, and, uh, and then isn't it true that sometimes when you're reading your Bible, you skip over the places too? Because you're not familiar, you want to stop and look them up, and so you kind of skip over the places so when you go and you drive around and you look at these places, when somebody says, this is a first century synagogue, the feet of Jesus may have stood right in this very place, or that certainly is the lake right there. That's that, it kind of like, wow. One of those places was a place that we went to on Friday. We started at the top of the Mount of Olives looking over Jerusalem. We walked down the Mount of Olives. As we got down toward the base of the Mount of Olives, there was a, a garden there. They arranged a garden with, with olive trees. We quietly go into this garden. It's between the garden there with the olive trees and Jerusalem is a valley with the brook Kidron. The one over which David walks as he weeps and leaves Jerusalem. The one over which the Lord Jesus walked often. And he, the Bible says in John uh, chapter 18. I wonder if I can read this to you because of the beauty of it. John chapter 18. This is an example of a, of a Bible verse with a little geographical location that, that, that now has come to life in my heart. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. There is a garden there still today, the same place with olive trees. We, 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 we prayed in that garden. And so while we were there, among the olive trees, the sun shining on us, where there's noise in the city. It's a confusing city, you know. It's a Muslim quarter. It's the Christian quarter. It's the Jewish quarter, the Armenian quarter. It's a bazaar, literal bazaar, like a zoo. People selling you things all the time. Noise. It's a modern city with traffic, but it's an ancient city with history. It's just, it's an amazing, loud, noisy place. And it was scary, noisy when Jesus was there in, in its own way. But there was this garden where Jesus went to pray. So in the garden, we were praying and we're reading these passages of Scripture. And, this, and, and while we were there and thinking, our hearts were kind of almost confused with all the religious things that we'd seen and all the craziness that we'd seen. I heard this noise. My ear kind of tuned this noise in. It was, uh, it was a faithful Bible preacher with his people. They were up the hill and he was preaching to them. There was sort of like a poetic cadence to his, to his preaching. It was the gospel. It was a beautiful sound, a sound I've heard all my life. Here was a man preaching the gospel to his people. And after a while, you can hear the rise and fall of his voice. It's just a beautiful thing to hear. And then when he got done, it was quietness, and pretty soon his people spilled down into that garden. They spread out here and there, and they began to pray. Simple prayers, talking to God, crying, weeping, and praying to God. Simple, sincere, secret, real, praying to God. 
Jesus said, it's a part of genuine righteousness. And I trust it's also a part of, of your own life. We want to close in a song this morning. Um, the song is Sweet Hour of Prayer. We have it there. And um, I'd like you to sing it uh, standing, please. Let's sing. Let's sing this song.